So then we interviewed people that lived around the vacant lots and asked them all sorts of questions. And what we found was that people that lived near the green vacant lots reported feeling less depressed, up to 40% less depressed compared to the lots that received no intervention. And there was no difference in the feelings of depression around the lot that got just the trash cleanup. So it was really that greening intervention that gave the benefit of feeling less depressed. That was Dr. Eugenia South, one of our guests this week. She and her colleague Michelle Kondo join us to talk about their research looking at how neighborhood contexts impact health and safety in urban environments and their recent publication in JAMA Network Open looking at the relationship between neighborhood greening and mental health. Dr. South and Dr. Kondo collaborate from two different perspectives. Dr. South is a physician and health services researcher at UPenn, and Dr. Kondo is a PhD research social scientist with the USDA Forest Service in Philadelphia. I'm Audrey Provenzano, and this is Review of Systems. Check our website, primarycare.hms.harvard.edu, and click on Arwitz Podcast along the top to subscribe or find more information about our show, our guests, Dr. South and Kondo, links to their very impressive work, and an archive of our previous shows. Thanks for listening. Michelle and Gina, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. I was hoping you could just briefly introduce yourselves. Sure. So my name is Gina South, and I'm an assistant professor of emergency medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. And I do um, about 50% of my time is seeing patients and working clinically in the emergency department. Um, and then 50% of my time is doing research. Hi, I'm Michelle Kondo, and I'm a research social scientist. I work for the United States Forest Service, and I'm stationed in Philadelphia. Wonderful. So for listeners who may not have perhaps come across your work in the past, it would be helpful to have a little bit of background. Uh, what kind of questions has your group looked at and shown in prior research? So we have published a, a kind of series of studies about the impact of vacant lot greening, and um, that has culminated in um, this large randomized control trial that we're going to talk about today. Um, the first study that Michelle and I published together um, was a, a small pilot of vacant lot greening. And what we did was we um, gave people uh, GPS-enabled heart rate monitors and then had them walk around their neighborhoods, both before and after the vacant lot greening um, at the greening site and the control site, and to see what was happening in their bodies physiologically. And what we found was a significant drop in people's heart rates as they were walking past the green vacant lots compared to for the greening and also compared to the control lots where there was no change. And we use heart rate as a marker of acute stress. And um, we, you know, we all know that when we, when we experience stress, one of the things we feel, we can feel our heart rate going up. We mm-hmm. can get sweaty, get really focused. And so we wanted to see what would, what would happen with heart rate. And this was some kind of initial evidence that there was some kind of physiologic connection happening between people's neighborhood environments and, and their bodies. So that was one, that was the first study that Michelle and I published together. Um, we also were involved in a, uh, a cost benefit analysis of both vacant lot greening and abandoned house remediation, which are two kind of neighborhood environment interventions that address the issue of blight. And in that study, we found that 
both of those interventions were um, cost beneficial um, as far as preventing firearm violence um, to both kind of the individual taxpayer and then society at large. Where was that study done? So that was done in Philadelphia and was um, published in American Journal of Public Health. And this was looking a kind of retrospective look at the um, vacant lot grading program that's run by the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society and um, a program that's run by the city called Doors and Windows to do this abandoned house remediation. So this was all kind of retrospectively looking at work that had already been done and the impact on on crime and the um, cost of, uh, to that. I can tell you more about this, the doors and windows study. So the city of Philadelphia, 2011, they approved an ordinance that required property owners to install working or functioning doors and windows in all, all properties. And so we had there is basically an, an intervention or a natural experiment occurring across the city where hundreds of vacant buildings were being improved and um, know that, that vacant buildings, we've heard and learned from residents that live near these buildings that they become involved in uh, illegal or illicit activities. And so we wondered what effect this intervention might have on crime rates nearby. So we, we treated it as a natural experiment and we, we looked at crime rates near these uh, vacant abandoned buildings that had been remediated and we compared those crime rates to those near vacant plots or vacant buildings that were not, they're just left vacant over time. So we looked at changes and again, so we found that total or all crimes in, in general decreased over time around these remediated buildings and as well as assaults, including gun assaults. And so some pretty strong evidence there that the city's ordinance, which was really targeted at, at um, remediating blight, was having a public health effect. So I also want to talk about our, we conducted a first ever, as far as we know, case control and case crossover study of the relationship between urban tree canopy, so tree canopy cover, and risk of, of assault. So we recruited hundreds of people from emergency rooms in two hospitals in Philadelphia, as well as some uh, what we call community controls, or people that were very similar demographically and lived uh, in similar neighborhoods, but had not been uh, victims of assault. And we interviewed them about you know, where they had been on, on the, the day of, of assault. And uh, we were able to see the kinds of environments that they were in. And, uh, and then uh, we, we could see you know, whether and if those environmental characteristics, and we were looking mostly at the, the tree canopy cover, whether or not there were trees present within the environment at the time of assault, of assault and, uh, and you know, up, up to 30 minutes previous. And we found actually that the, the presence of the tree canopy was associated with, with lower risk of, of being assaulted. Hmm. 
yeah, when comparing the, the, the what we call the cases, so the assault victims to the controls, and also when comparing the the cases or the assault victims to themselves or earlier in the day. Wow. Yeah, so a really exciting um, kind of work that demonstrated the, the importance of trees for crime and, and the experience of assault in adolescents. Okay, so tell us how you came up with the research question for your recent JAMA paper, um, which was called Effect of Greening Vacant Land on Mental Health of Community Dwelling Adults, and, and how did you know that you wanted to look at mental health? So I um, was interested in the concept of mental health after a qualitative study that I did um, where I asked people who lived in neighborhoods that had a lot of vacant lots and abandoned buildings what they thought the impact was on their health. Um, and what people, um, we, we conducted 50 qualitative interviews and people, what people said fell into two major buckets. So one was that people felt it had an impact on the overall well-being of the community and um, particularly the social ties between neighbors that people felt like if they lived on a block with a lot of vacant lots or abandoned buildings then it actually fractured ties between neighbors. Um, so it had an impact on community well-being. The second big bucket of what people said was that it had an impact on their mental health, that they felt stigmatized, um, that they experienced feelings of depression and anxiety um, because of these vacant spaces, and then also felt fear um, because of the illicit activity that people knew was happening in these spaces. So that kind of gave me um, an, an interest in this question of, of the neighborhood environment and mental health and you know, what can we do to um, improve the neighborhood environment that could potentially have an impact on mental health? Tell us a little bit about the methods. You mentioned that it was an RCT. I was wondering, you know, how was it funded? Because you did some, you know, pretty significant work in the community in terms of greening and rehabilitating areas of the city. So was it done in partnership with the municipal government? And... Um, could you tell us a little bit about the, the different arms of the study? Yeah, so this study was an NIH-funded study, um, and the, um, the PI of the study was um, Dr. Charles Brannis, who, as Michelle mentioned earlier, he was the person who actually brought us together in the first place all these years ago. So he was the PI of this um, study, um, funded by the NIH, and um, we partnered with um, the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society, or PHS, who are, it's actually the oldest horticulture society in the country, and they are the ones that pioneered this vacant lot cleaning intervention um, and had been doing it for quite a while before our team kind of partnered with them to study it. Through them, we also partnered with the city of Philadelphia because a lot of this land is um, privately owned, and so we needed to have a way to be able to actually go onto the land and do these interventions. And then uh, as far as why we did three arms instead of two, so the three arms of the trial were the um, full vacant lot greening intervention, which I should um, just describe for you. So that involves clearing the land, planting new grass and new trees, and a simple wooden post and rail fence around the perimeter that does have an opening. Mm -hmm. And then every two weeks there's maintenance. Um, mm -hmm. So people go back to mow the land um, and remove trash. So that was one arm. The second arm was a trash cleanup arm. So in that arm was essentially the maintenance. So every two weeks, people would go to do um, to pick up any trash that was on the lot and a limited mowing where possible. 
and the third arm was a control arm that had no intervention. The reason we included that middle arm was to, um, it was a contact control. So we wanted to make sure if we saw um, a benefit from the greening intervention, we wanted to make sure it had something to do with the intervention itself and not the fact that people were going into the community and doing something. Oh. For that middle arm, people were going and doing something, um, but it wasn't the actual greening treatment. Got it. So what did you find? So I, I should say as part of the trial, what we did was we interviewed people that lived in the immediate surrounding areas of the vacant lots, both before and after the intervention. Um, the thing that was randomized in this trial were the vacant lots, were the spaces. So we took you know, all of the vacant lots in the city and randomly selected about 540 of them mm-hmm. to be in the trial. And then of those, they were randomly put into one of those three arms. So then we um, interviewed people that we that lived around the vacant lots and um, asked them all sorts of questions. And what we found was that people that lived near the green vacant lots reported feeling less depressed, um, up to 40% less depressed compared to the um, lots that received no intervention. And there was no difference um, in the feelings of depression around the lots that got just the trash cleanup. So it was really that greening intervention that gave um, the benefit of, of uh, feeling less depressed. Um, we also showed that overall poor mental health was reduced in the uh, for people living near the green vacant lots compared to other lots. Overall poor mental health was reduced? Yes. Okay. And in the questionnaires, did you, did you use... Uh, like PHQ2, PHQ9, or what What kind of instrument was used to assess mental health? So we use a Kessler Psychological Distress Scale, um, which is kind of a community, um, a validated a scale community screening for mental health problems. So it's important to note that this was not, this was not a, like a DSM diagnosis of depression right. that we were looking at. This was really self-reported feelings of depression um, and uh, worthlessness and a, a couple other components that goes into that scale. Okay. So, so were you surprised by these findings and, and what do you think that they mean more broadly? As researchers, we try not to go in with preconceived notions about what we'll find. <laughs> but uh, no, I, th- I think that these findings uh, made, made sense to us just based on, again, what, what Gina heard from residents in her previous study and, and what we've heard from, from residents just in, in interacting with, with communities when we go and do work in communities, um, that neglected spaces make people also feel neglected and that improving them can help people feel better about themselves and about their, their control over their, their lives and their community. Mm-hmm. So we think that it makes a lot of sense. I think the other um, important thing is just the concept of green space and the role that that well-maintained, um, clean, accessible green space can have on health. One of the things we don't know is if, how people use these spaces. So we don't know if people actually went into them or mm-hmm. how often they pass them. Um, but there is something, there's actually a growing body of literature showing the um, health benefits of green space. And so... I think the the green space part of this is an important thing to remember 
um, and to, to highlight about the intervention. Okay. And what were the limitations of the study? The study took place in Philadelphia, um, which is a you know large urban environment um, and a particular kind of city. Um, this Philadelphia is what we would call a post-manufacturing city, um, kind of part part of the the Rust Belt. There are other cities similar to Philadelphia, like Baltimore and Detroit, and Cleveland, um, maybe New Haven. So I think the results are can be generalized to a certain type of city. Um, but not to everywhere. And so I think part of what we need is further work to look at cities that um, have a different type of physical makeup than Philadelphia and see if these type of interventions would work. Um, I think the other, you know, an- another limitation is that we, this is self-reported feelings of depression and, and mental health, but not, as I mentioned, the actual DSM diagnosis. So we don't know if this um, intervention would have an impact on the actual diagnosis of depression. Um, but that's something also to kind of further look at. And what are your outstanding questions? What do you want to ask next? Well, uh, we would like to address some of those limitations. So, for example, we, we want to know how uh, and if, it, we want to know if and whether people are using these sites after they have been cleaned and greened, and if so, how are they using them? So we might use some video monitoring, we might use some GPS tracking, and then we also want to know know, what if we slightly altered the design of the clean and green? What if we also added a path and or some other vegetation or landscaping? What if we added a bench? And, and of course, important to keep the costs down so that the program is still scalable and something that can be implemented reasonably and cost efficiently across the entire city. But uh, we want to know, are there any sort of low-cost additions that we could make that could make a difference in terms of, of public health and people's use of, of these spaces. And then we wonder if there are some person-based interventions that we could do to, to help increase the use and therefore public health effects of uh, these, these interventions. So could we offer some sort of incentive to people to, to spend more time to use these spaces? We, we also want to know, does, does vacant lot abatement and community greening in general have a, a different effect on, on women than on men hmm. or uh, for young versus old? So thinking about different population groups. And for listeners who work in urban areas without much green space, who are interested in maybe trying to collaborate with community groups or municipal government to increase green space, do you have any advice or words of wisdom for them? Yeah, so I think that is a great goal for people um, to have. I would definitely recommend looking at the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society website um, because they, again, have really pioneered this intervention and are experts at um, going um, into communities, partnering with communities to um, do this vacant lot greening. They also have um, a tree tender program and community gardens program, and they're very open to um, working with people in um, other cities to um, share how they do this and share what the model is. 
So I think that's a great place to start. And the other thing I would say is wherever people live to find groups, community groups, nonprofits, um, and areas of city government that are already interested in green space and, and doing green space work to partner, um, partner with them. I think the um, cities are increasingly recognizing the importance of green space and public space, public land. And so there, this is really a great time to, to join that movement and get involved in those things for people who are interested in, in that. Gina South and Michelle Kondo, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to Review Systems, a podcast featuring conversations about the changing healthcare landscape from the Harvard Center for Primary Care. I'm Audrey Provenzano. Check our website, primarycare.hms.harvard.edu and click on ROS podcast along the top to find more information about the show, links to subscribe, and an archive of our previous shows. You can also find links to more information about our guests, Dr. South and Kondo, and the link to their paper. If you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. It helps others find the show and share us on social media and with your friends. We'd love to hear feedback and suggestions. You can tweet us at ROS podcast or at HMS Primary Care or tweet at me at Audrey, MDMPH, or you can email me at contact at rospod.org. Thanks for listening.